0: It's that time of year, Rivalry Week in college football, and that means UVA and Virginia Tech square off for the Commonwealth Cup. We'll look at that game, get into Aaron McFarlane's puppy chow, and much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 68 of Teal and Barber. The Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC Beat Writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you?
1: Good afternoon, Mike, and happy early Thanksgiving.
0: Happy early Thanksgiving to you and yours. What is the Teal Family Thanksgiving? Do you host? Do you go somewhere? What, what's the, the plan if you'll share? <laughs>
1: Oh no, no, I'm happy to share we we go to my mother- in law's and hang out with my wife's brothers and their families. There will be twelve of us.
0: That sounds really nice it's it's starting to get back to i I think and I, I don't want to speak for everyone, and I think everyone should do what they're comfortable with. but um you know, with the vaccine and some other things, it feels like we're getting a little bit closer to that normal holiday season. I know uh. I've got my family flying in. Our schedule is always the years that Virginia hosts the Virginia, Virginia tech game. We host Thanksgiving because it means we're here in Charlottesville. Uh, And the years that I'm down in Blacksburg, we kind of do our own things and and find our own way, but um, very much looking forward to this year and Thanksgiving. And um, we all have lots to be thankful for David. I, of course, the big part for me is the food. So uh, I'm curious uh, who does the cooking there, uh, when you go for Thanksgiving
1: not me
0: <laughs> nothing uh, not one dish
1: no I don't I don't I don't cook i I mess around in in the kitchen sparingly I know enough to be dangerous and keep myself fed through decades of bachelorhood before marrying <laughs> uh late in life but it is a tag it is truly a tag team effort. My brother-in-law is a very good cook. He does the turkey and other folks fix the sides.
0: That sounds good. You know, the biggest thing I've learned since getting married, having a family, moving into, you know, a house where we could host, the first year we did Thanksgiving, I was I was a stubborn jerk and I wanted to do everything and I had so many things going at the same time and and everything turned out fine. But, uh, there was like this air of stress (laughs) around the kitchen and you know what? I I realized that, and we've done since, and we're going to do this year. Now I do the Turkey and I let everyone else cook something because everybody wants to contribute to my family. I've got a family of people who, uh, like me, and this is where I got it from. They like to be in the kitchen, right? And so dad does the stuffing and he roasts the chestnuts and he makes the gravy and, um, you know, mom's working with him with on that, and and, and the uh, strawberry chiffon pie, which is my all-time favorite dessert. And uh, my aunt and uncle make the sweet potato casserole, and my my wife Elizabeth is the baker, and, and she does so many desserts and and all that. And uh, and I've I've realized let let go a little bit, let everybody <laughs> pitch in, and I think it's it's become for me a, a fun part of Thanksgiving. Where that first year it was. Uh, I was a little bit of the control freak and I wanted everybody out of my kitchen. (laughs)
1: You you put unnecessary stress on everyone,
0: Mike. I really did. Everybody wanted to help. I wouldn't let them. And then I ended up with all this work and um, much more fun, especially with having the whole family together to, to let everybody pitch in. And David, while we're, while we're talking Turkey, that actually brings us to this week's edition of take it or leave it.
2: Thanks Mike. It's the special Thanksgiving edition of take it or leave it Turkey is the star of the Thanksgiving dinner table. Let's start with David.
1: I will leave it, guys. I I like turkey just fine and will eat probably more than my fair share. But what I really, I like anything pumpkin. So pumpkin pie is my favorite Thanksgiving food.
2: Thank you,
0: David. Mike? Yeah, I love turkey. I'm a huge turkey guy, but I'm going to leave it because the thing about Thanksgiving, and it's maybe why it's one of my favorite meals I love variety, right? Like I love a, a good Chinese dim sum where there's all those different things to pick at. Um, so the star of the Thanksgiving table for me is the table, right? It's that that big flat surface that has 8, 9, 10, maybe a dozen, depending on who you're getting together with, different dishes. So I love turkey. I'm a big team turkey guy. But uh, for me, what makes the Thanksgiving meal is a little bit of everything. And then 10 minutes later, another plate full of a little bit of everything. And then maybe some football and then another plate of a little bit of everything. And then once everybody's gone to bed and you're getting ready to put away the, the leftovers, one more plate of of a little bit of everything. And that's probably why I then go into the the Christmas holiday season uh, unable to fit into any of my clothing, but, (laughs) (laughs) but we're very much looking forward to it. And David, once those leftovers are, are dwindling down and we've had our fill of Turkey uh, it's going to be time to get down to that, Commonwealth Cup that you heard about in the opening, the annual rivalry between UVA and Virginia Tech, and it's certainly a rivalry. There's no denying that, but it's one that that has been completely dominated by the Hokies for really over two decades. Virginia Tech has won 20 of the last 22 meetings. Now, UVA overall has the lead in the series, 59-38, and there have been five ties, and I can't imagine what it feels like walking off the field with a tie against your rival. Uh, I'm glad that's largely a thing of the past. But uh, the Cavaliers' only win of late came in 2019, a 39-30 victory in Charlottesville. It came the year after. I think a lot of us thought the streak might end, but Bryce Perkins having a monster game and a monster season, he has that fumble uh, in the red zone in overtime, and and Virginia Tech holds on to win that one. Uh, David, when you think about the recent rivalry, what kind of stands out to you in terms of where this thing is at?
1: Well, I think you bring up the 2019 game, Mike, there there in Charlottesville, where Virginia couldn't have scripted it any better to end that 15-game losing streak against the Hokies because the game was the de facto Coastal Division championship game. It was at Scott Stadium, and Bryce Perkins, as you referenced just a terrific season in in his final year at UVA, elevates the Cavaliers to their first ever Coastal Division crown onto the ACC championship game and eventually the Orange Bowl. So I think think of that, and then I think of so many times that Virginia Tech's bowl streak depended on this game. I mean, Saturday in Charlottesville, Mike, marks the fifth time in the last 10 years that Virginia Tech has needed to beat the Cavaliers just to become bowl eligible and the Hokies are four and0 in those previous games
0: yeah you know it's funny that statistic um, it- I feel two ways about it, right? Like it, it shows you how remarkable that bowl streak was. Um, that they did have their back to the wall number of times and and found a way to keep it going. But it also tells you that this program wasn't exactly humming along <laughs> <No>. right? <laughs> all of those years. That it, it was kind of the skin of their teeth and, and I think mm-hmm. now seeing them kind of on the maybe on the other side of that, you appreciate it more, but at the same time it does make you look back and realize that those consecutive ten win seasons uh those those were in the rearview mirror if you're virginia tech now i'm curious david my first game in this rivalry came in 2003 i was covering uva for the daily news record and it was sort of a minuscule part of the beat like i was mostly doing high school and d3 stuff but on the weekends i could go and uh cover a uva home game if they were home and um i think they might have had one big thursday night rotor somewhere in there that i did but uh so my first game, I went back and was trying to remember it. And it was the one UVA won in, in 2003, 35-21 at Scott Stadium. The Hokies came in. They had ended up losing four of their final six games. And uh, Randy King from the Roanoke Times had uh, a, a lead that said, the swoon of the maroon continues. <laughs> uh, but you know that victory, 2019 that we just talked about, that's been it. Uh, it has been incredibly lopsided. I'm curious for you, David, because you go back a little bit farther than <laughs> I do. Uh, what's your first memory of of the Commonwealth Cup?
1: Well, it was back in 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 the 80s, and I wasn't I wasn't covering uh, either teams specifically. But my my first te- Tech UVA game would have been, I believe, 1985. When um, I'm trying to remember who, yeah. Yeah, the Hokies won, uh, twenty-eight to ten in, in Charlottesville. Sitting here looking at the at the media guide, and that was Bill Dooley's penultimate season uh, in in Blacksburg. So I, I go back that far, and then of course all through the the, the Beamer era, the the ninety-five game at, at Scott Stadium, the comeback, J.C. Price, the Hokies interim <laughs> head coach this year. That was his senior season as a defensive tackle. He and Cornell Brown had back-to-back sacks in the fourth quarter of Mike Gro, And that set the stage for Jim Druckenmiller's late late touchdown drive to, to bring the Hokies back. And Mike, as I look back on, on that particular game, it matched two conference champions. Virginia Tech had already won the Big East. UVA had, of course, upset Florida State earlier that season in Charlottesville, the the Seminoles' first ever ACC defeat. So Virginia had secured a share of the ACC title. So you had two top 20 teams, both conference champions, meeting in the regular season finale. That was pretty darn cool. And it was the third consecutive year when the programs met and both were in the AP rankings. And I wonder if and when we'll get back to that with these two programs.
0: Yeah. Virginia Tech clearly hitting the reset button games where um, teams are at championship level, there's going to be no shortage of motivation, right? Because of where they're at in the season and where they're going. I'm curious in this one, because Virginia's loss at Pittsburgh took them out of contention for the Coastal. The Panthers clinched the division uh, Saturday with, with their win over the Cavaliers. Virginia Tech obviously is, uh, other than bowl eligibility, is in contention for nothing in terms of championships. Um, it makes you question motivation. Then you talk to these players, David. It doesn't sound like there's hurting for, for motivation. I'll tell you, Tywin Garbutt, who was just on a a zoom with the media here. and, And he told us of the 2019 loss, he said, that's probably one of the worst feelings I've ever felt when it comes to football. It was almost unbelievable. It was almost unfathomable. That's one of the sickest feelings I've ever had playing this sport. These guys are motivated certainly by wanting to win, but I think a lot, especially on the Virginia tech end by not wanting to lose.
1: I agree. And, and Trey Turner, Who followed Taiwan Garber to to, to the podium today in in Blacksburg? He was, I mean, he paused when he was asked about that game in 2019, and and he just said, it hurt. And his his face, you could see him grimace. I mean, he was recalling the, the pain of that. And then on the flip side, I remember being down on the field. Like, I'm, sh- I'm sure you were, too, in that postgame throng. And there were former UVA players down there in tears. They were so happy that the streak was over. And th- there is so much motivation on, on both sides, r- regardless of the overall championship stakes or lack thereof.
0: Yeah, you know, it was interesting Joey Blunt, the safety from Virginia told me this week of that victory. He said, "You believe you can win. You always say you can win. You say this is the year you're going to beat Tech and then you lose and you lose and you lose and it does get into you, right? It's to the point where okay, you say the right things, but do you believe them?" He said of that 2019 win that it was like they had a crown on their head and we took it away from them. And once we took it away from them, he said, "It was like okay, you felt like you could take it away anytime you wanted to." Um now, it, it isn't going to be that easy, but that was an interesting mindset shift, I think, for that program. of, We believe, what does that mean? But when you do it, when you have to go back to Al Gro, when you have demonstrated performance, hmm. <laughs> there's a different level of confidence, right?
1: Oh, with, with, without question. And what also breeds confidence is when your quarterback leads the power five in average passing yards per game at over 400.
0: What a perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk about. Which you're, is- well, you're welcome. I'm just and, setting, setting you up, brother. Well done. We, we're, we're finally hitting our stride here on the podcast. And Brendan Armstrong is back. He, and he played the Pittsburgh game. And David, I'll, I'll be honest. I thought he would come back and be a little rusty. And, and, and then the second game back, we'd see the real Brendan Armstrong. And uh, that was not the case. 487 yards, four touchdowns. One of his touchdown drives, and I'm – Putting up the air quotes <laughs> was a 36 yard completion and a 39 yard touchdown pass All in right. 25 seconds. That is vintage Brennan, Brennan Armstrong. I asked Robert and I, the offensive coordinator, this morning. I was out at practice and I said, Did you think there would be some rust and that it would take a little bit, maybe even a half or a game? And he said, No. He said, When Brennan Armstrong takes the field, I expect to get Brennan Armstrong. And anything less, he said, he would have been surprised. David, I surprised you're not, you had to be impressed with Armstrong at Pittsburgh. Four
1: eighty seven, Mike, three touchdowns, and his one interception was an end of half Hail Mary. I mean he was there is no way that anyone unaware of the previous three weeks could have sat down to watch that game either in person or on television and said to themselves that cat looks like he's just coming back from an injury. He doesn't look quite right.
0: Yeah. He, he looked more than right. What didn't look more than right yet again. And maybe we're getting tired of talking about on this right. podcast. The defense still stinks, right? I mean, missed tackles, big plays, long drives, mistakes, penalties, a just brutal offsides on a field goal. That was, I, I guess we can put that with the special teams gas, yeah. of which there were plenty. Um, but, David, other than Armstrong and the offense, this was a pretty ugly day for Virginia. It
1: it was, Mike, except for one thing. I'll give the, the defense credit, is that for all, you know, for Kenny Pickett's four touchdown passes, all to Jordan Addison, by the way. And this this may be a subject for a, another podcast, but I'm not convinced Jordan, Jordan Addison isn't the ACC player of the year. He, he leads the country in touchdown receptions with 15 but I but I digress Virginia made Kenny Pickett uncomfortable Saturday they were credited with 18 hurries they blitzed like crazy people and got him out of the pocket forced him to roll this way roll that way you know flushed him up the middle intercepted him twice so I I, th- I think the defense did make some improvement on Saturday. Where they were let down, and, and you alluded to this, was special teams. Nick Grant jumping offside on that field goal to, six, to sustain a drive that then ends up in a touchdown. That's a four-point swing. That's a big deal. And then after Brennan Armstrong guides the team down the field for a tying touchdown in the first half to make it 14 apiece, what happens? Israel Banacanda takes the ensuing kickoff 98 yards to the house. UVA had not allowed a kickoff return of longer than 22 yards all season. When when you're playing an offense as potent as Pitt, you cannot gift wrap points like the Cavaliers did.
0: Yeah, and Nick Howell, the co-defensive coordinator, he agrees with you. I, I spoke to him this morning after practice, and he said, I, I think we did a lot of good things, and there were a lot of things to be happy about on the defense. Defensively, the problem remains, and, and there may not be a solution. I talked to somebody at Virginia who said off the record, hey, this just might be who we are. Uh, the Oh, happens. it's
1: clearly who they
0: are, right? And I think so, but it's hard. It's almost hard to believe because there's so many veterans, and we've seen them make so many great plays. Like Joey Blunt makes a lot of great plays but he also misses tackles. Um, and there are a lot of guys. Nick Grant makes a lot of great plays, also misses tackles. And I think we just kept thinking, for Blunt, it was get healthy. For Grant, Grant, it was get more experience. And, um, you know, here we are in the senior season and, and going into the regular season finale, and uh, this is just a bad tackling team. And, you know, I, I think maybe... Uh, Howell and Papinga were a little late in getting to the pressure package. That's been the trademark, really, uh, of UVA's defense since they've been there. You know, they talk about havoc and um, bringing pressure from different spots and making plays behind the line of scrimmage and disrupting timing. They really got back to that in a big way Saturday against Pittsburgh. David, I think if you're a UVA fan, you're hoping that they photocopy a lot of that game plan and, and roll it out against the Hokies, even though the Hokies certainly don't have Pickett and Addison.
1: Agreed, but it, but it'll be interesting, Mike, to to see how they roll defensively simply because Virginia Tech's offense is so different than Pitt and maybe even more so after what we saw in Miami on Saturday night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you're looking at a Miami game where, let's give a lot of credit to J.C. Price, the interim coach, who I, it's no secret at this point, I really like the guy. I think you do too. And, uh, but he had his team ready to play very hard against Miami. And I don't know that they played that well. And in many ways, that's sort of the um, epitaph of this season, right? Play hard for Justin Fuente, too. Didn't always play well. Um, but they certainly played hard, and they had an interesting situation at quarterback where they went with Connor Blumrick, who you could do a whole podcast on his rapid recovery uh, from his injury, getting back, um, the fight to get back to, to play this season. He's a different style of runner than Burmeister. He's a bigger, stronger, more of a, a power runner than, than some of the speed and athleticism we see with Braxton. But David, he brought something to that offense Saturday in South Florida, did he not?
1: Absolutely. To the tune of, what, a buck 30-something yeah. rushing and and brought the Hokies back. I mean, t- Tyler Van Dyke in Miami scored touchdowns on their first four possessions. I mean, this was going to be a blowout. And three times the Hokies trailed by 18 points. But there they were early in the fourth quarter, down 31-26, When Manny Diaz inexplicably goes for it on fourth and short in his own territory, the Hokies appear to stuff Knighton on an inside run, get a terrible break on the spot. Even after it was reviewed, the the officiating crew upheld it, and Miami was able to extend the drive. Now, they eventually... Punted on that drive, but I think the punt pinned the Hokies inside their own ten. So rather than gaining possession in plus territory, they ended up ninety some yards away from a touchdown, and that was just a
0: backbreaker, no doubt. And, and David, you know, it's it's been interesting with this team. There were some weeks where I think you and I both felt like, okay, Raheem Blackshear is really going to be a star, and then the freshman uh, Malachi Thomas. There, there was a stretch there where he played really well. And certainly Trey Turner, we know his ability. Tavian Robinson's had some just unbelievable catches. Obviously, they lost James Mitchell, the tight end. I don't know that at any point in this season, for more than maybe a two-game stretch, this offense has really had an identity. Uh, one, would you agree with that? And going into this final game, a uh, final regular season game at least, what is, in your mind, what could be the identity of this offense?
1: Oh, I have no earthly idea. <laughs> Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm the first to confess ignorance. And I, as I often do on so many subjects, but <laughs> I I don't think anyone can, can grasp the identity of this group. And I think that's one of the damning things of the Fuente administration in, in this particular team is I don't think they ever figured out what they were. And you mentioned Raheem Blackshear. I mean, he's been on such a, a tear lately and he was nowhere mike and i mean nowhere to be seen in, in miami the other night but it, it was baffling now now granted blumberg was was doing fine on the ground and he was starting to bring him back but had, had no idea and he here's here's a great stat that our friend mike Nisalik from the roanoke times not really on earth, but it just it just dawned on him as he was writing a story yesterday because JC Price had said he's not sure who's going to start at quarterback on on Saturday. My guess would still be Braxton Burmeister, but if they go the other way, this will be the sixth different starting quarterback for Virginia Tech against UVA in as many seasons.
0: I mean, it's, it's unbelievable
1: that that's remarkable
0: instability that, and also remarkable how many of those games they won despite that instability um i my impression and I I'll get your take too I imagine both quarterbacks play you know a year oh, ago yes. hooker dealt with the the cold issues at Clemson and then it just seemed like that was it for Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech. Obviously, he went on to transfer, and we've talked about the success he's had, but uh, Burmeister got the start last year, led them to the win. This doesn't feel like that kind of a situation. This feels more like we're piecing this thing together, and Blumwick running the ball is part of it, and Burmeister throwing it is part of it. And here's the thing that's interesting to me, David. There have been enough good moments from this offense that makes you think that there's some capability there, and now they're playing a defense That is Mm -hmm. just a mess, right? This feels like we love in sports and and, and as media, we love strength on strength, right? The number one offense against the number one defense, the best quarterback against a star pass rusher. But a lot of the intrigue of Saturday for me is a terrible defense at Virginia against a terrible offense at Virginia (laughs) Tech. And could that be a dramatic victory one way or the other for one of those two units? What do you think?
1: I think it absolutely could, and it's probably where this thing gets decided because Brennan Armstrong and UVA are going to score. Now, whether they score 42 or 35 or maybe just 30 is probably up for question. But if if Virginia does not score four touchdowns on Saturday – I will be very surprised. What I have no earthly idea about is the matchup you just described of
0: week-on-week week,
1: mm-hmm. Virginia Tech offense versus UVA defense.
0: Yeah, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I, I think I think we can go and throw 35 points up on the board uh, for Brendan Armstrong and Virginia. On the other side, could I see Virginia Tech besting that? It's hard to picture, but against this defense? Yeah. I think I could. Um, could I see this defense rising up and playing against Tech the way it did against Illinois? Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, it's it's so it's it's fascinating to me. And, and you know we we are in the sort of business of predicting and projecting and uh, honestly a lot of times guessing. But like you, I've got no guess. I am. I would love to sit back with my popcorn. I mean, I'll be working, <laughs> but I'd love to sit back and see how that plays out. Is this rivalry and the intensity of it? Does it? bring out better tackling from Virginia? Or conversely, does the emotion and the fire lead to sloppiness and lead to more of those penalties that at times were devastating in the pit game? Uh, It is a really interesting part of the matchup. Another thing that you've hit on, Virginia's special teams let them down in a big way against Pittsburgh. Virginia Tech uh, has had some letdowns here on their kick coverage late in the year uh, in Justin Fuente's final games. That's another spot where if this is the true rivalry game, that, that it can be where you just don't know what's going to happen. And special teams can play a huge factor. David, does one side or the other have an edge there, or is that kind of like the matchup we just talked about? And let's wait and see. I think it's kind of a push, Yeah.
1: Be, be, although I, I, I will tell you where I think Virginia Tech has an advantage, and that's with Peter Moore at, at punter because the, the Cavaliers have had some punting issues here of late, specifically with the Shanks.
0: Yeah, and Jacob Finn, who is, and this sounds funny to say, when he's on, he's on. Like, I watched him punt in, in games, in practice, and I thought, wow, that's an NFL punter. And then he's had a couple Shanks now in big moments, in big spots, um, you know, that kind of changed the game that looked like, you know, you or I playing in the in the neighborhood Turkey Bowl, right? And somebody who hasn't punted in – Five years is like, I'll give it a try. And, you know, it slides off the front of the toe or the side of the foot. It, it's just been hard to imagine. And Bronco Mendenhall said, you know, it's it's sort of shocking to the sideline because he's so good most of the time. But it, it is a, a real, I would think, a real concern. Um, it's going to be such an interesting game for, for all of those reasons. And that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got.
2: Thank you, Mike. This is a simple one. UVA and Virginia Tech play on Saturday. Who You Got? Let's
0: start with Mike. Yeah, I'm going to take the easy, obvious answer. I I think it's Virginia. I I think what Brennan Armstrong and that offense can do I can't imagine a scenario where tech offensively, even though I think they may find success, (laughs) I don't think they can match it. So I'm expecting a relatively high game, maybe more competitive than some people are thinking going into this one. But uh, ultimately I think Brendan Armstrong has another big day. We don't see him, David, have anything but big days, right? When he plays, he plays great. I don't see this defense slowing him down. (sighs) I know I can go back and think about that opener and, and, Tech fans, boy, they wish they could go back to the night of that opener against Carolina where Barno and Garbett and that D-line just wrecked the Tar Heels game plan and we're all over them, um, all over Sam Howell. Armstrong, to me, he's on a, a different level even than Sam Howell right now. Uh, I've got the Cavaliers. I've got the Cavaliers winning by about a touchdown in this one in, in a game that I think will be pretty entertaining and high scoring.
1: Have to agree. And it's for the same reason. Uh, Brennan Armstrong in, in the Virginia offense, especially the, the receivers that that he has around him. I mean, both Keaton Thompson and Dontavian Wicks went for over 100 yards on Saturday against Pittsburgh. And Jelani Woods is probably the first team all ACC tight end. And oh, by the way, Billy Kemp's pretty good in the slot. And Rayshon Henry's not bad on the perimeter. He's, he's just got so many guys he can throw to, and that is a luxury that the Hokies do not have.
0: They certainly do not. Well, you and I agree then. Virginia is the straight-up winner. How about the line, some other ACC matchups, and maybe an upset or two? Well, now to help us handicap some of the big games of the weekend, including, of course, that Commonwealth Clash that we've been talking about, Aaron McFarlane, the outstanding columnist and our good friend from the Roanoke Times, Aaron, how are you? i'm good brother i've been spending uh, i'm gonna
2: write the entire tout bill this week or at least the lead about this game of course so i've been kind of digging into the last 10 meetings from a betting perspective how things have gone because we all know how things have gone just result wise but uh, for those who are looking to make financial investments uh there's a couple of interesting facts in there.
0: yeah well let's take a look at that we've, we've got virginia and they're a seven and a half point favorite at home against the hokies hokies of course still playing for an interim coach and in jc price uva gets brendan armstrong back last week looks great against pittsburgh uh, aaron it looks 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 like an offense at Virginia that can score a lot. Virginia Tech, we're not quite sure what we're going to get from them. What do you make of of this spread and this matchup?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's – you know, in the last 10 meetings, of course, Virginia's won just once, but they have covered four times. You know, in, tw- in 2015, they lost by three as a three and a half point underdog. In 2013, they were 11 and a half point dogs, lost 16 to six. So they're not, not a huge uh, cover, but they covered by one and a half there. And the year before that, they were nine and a half point pups and lost 17 to 14. So there were some games there where they were expected to get, you know, trounced and didn't. Now we're on the other side of things. You know, This is the, the biggest underdog uh, Virginia Tech's been in, in many, many years. I, I haven't even looked back as far as it is. It's certainly since the streak started. Um, but when the Hokies cover in this series, they do so emphatically over the six successful covers they've had in the past 10 meetings, four have come by double digits. Including their 38 nothing win in 2011 as a four, four and a half point favorite. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you, you kind of know right away what you're going to get what, when you see like the first and second drives. You know, it's, it's <laughs> either Virginia Tech's going to cover by a lot or, or, or Virginia's going to cover. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm feeling Virginia here. I just am. You know, Virginia has been a sort of a mid-range favorite only twice this year. You know, the seven to thirteen you know, and a half range. half range and in both cases, they've taken care of business uh, in a big way. Uh, the first time was on September 11, ten and a half point. Favorite against Illinois. Of course, they won that game 42 14. October 16th, 10 point favorite over Duke. Uh, in retrospect, obviously, Duke should have been about a 70 point fi- uh, dog, but uh, <laughs> then Virginia wouldn't have covered, but they did win 48 to nothing, so they covered the 10 with ease. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was at the game at Miami this past week. I like how this team fights. I've liked how they fought all year, you know, uh, with the exception of the BC game. I think every other game, you know, they've they really um, fought, but I think this is just a tall task, man. That that defense, you saw what happened last this past week. You know, their pass defense is vulnerable. Um, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of PIs called on Virginia Tech and, you know, I, I'm sure Armstrong is, can draw some of those as well. Um, I think this is going to be a pretty good day for Virginia. I think Virginia's going to win this one 40 to 28,
0: 40 to 28, which gets you over the over under of 62 and a half. I think we all probably feel like Virginia can score a lot in this game. I'm curious about Virginia Tech because certainly their offense is nothing to write home about, but this Virginia defense has been so terrible. Aaron, are we... Are we expecting a high scoring one on both sides or are we, uh, what, what are we thinking about Virginia Tech's offense against Virginia's defense?
2: Well, I'm thinking you're going to see a lot of Connor Blumrick, you know, the backup yeah. quarterback who took over in the second half of last game and, uh, ran for more than 120 yards. I mean, you know, he's, and he threw the ball, you know, he threw two touchdown passes, which we had not seen him throw the ball much at all this season. And uh, of course I had asked Fuente early in the season, you know, can he throw, you know, and he's like, yeah, I promise you, he can, um, So, I mean, I think you might see a strategy where they try to shorten this game. You know, I mean, that's probably the best idea, right, is try to keep that Virginia offense off the field as long as you can. Uh, so that could mean a lot of runs with Blumrick. I think I think he will start this game. That would be my guess. Um, that's not what J.C. Price said today when we talked to him. He said we'll just go with whoever gives us the best chance to win. I think Blumrick's performance against Miami uh, was good enough that, uh, that he'll get the nod here. But uh, even if he doesn't, I think we'll see a lot of them. I think they'll try to run the ball a ton, try to spin the clock, and try to get this game, uh, you know, as lower scoring as they possibly can. The last five meetings in Charlottesville, the total has gone under four times. So, uh, you know, these games in, in at UVA um, sometimes have fewer points than we expect.
0: All right. Beyond that, let's look around the ACC before we get to your uh, upset pick of, of the week. And we've got Wake Forest as a five-point favorite up at Boston College. If they win that game, they win the division. Aaron. Do you like the Demon Deacons' chance of finishing this thing off and winning the Atlanta? You know,
2: I've I've always been a big fan of BC when they're at home. And, uh, you know, they they, they they tend to play very well there. And uh, we've talked about it before on your podcast. We don't really know why <laughs> other than the fact that uh, just the comfort of being at home. They're 6-2 against the spread in their last eight at home. Uh, the underdog in this series between wake and BC is covered in four of the past five meetings yeah I think I think uh, BC could pull off an upset here and that would open the door for Clemson as well so uh, keep an eye on this game it's not as uh, it's not as easy uh, I don't think. Of a, of a cover for, for Wake Forest, as, as it might appear.
0: All right, Aaron, looking across the board, give us that upset of the week this week. <laughs> I'm going to go to the,
2: the matchup formerly known as the Civil War, and part of this <laughs> may be just the fact that I had Oregon last week. I, I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's been it's been rough here recently. So take all of this with as much of a grain of salt as you can. But it, everybody who saw that primetime uh, deep pantsing at the hands of Utah knows that Oregon is smarting right now, and their in-state rivals are good enough to stay in their misery here, man. Oregon State's getting seven. Uh, the Beavers have the nation's sixth-ranked Russian attack. That should help shorten this game like we talked about with the UVA. Uh, they're also 10-1 and against the spread in their past 11 games as a road underdog. That's pretty good. Uh, covered six straight against teams winning records. That's good, and they're five and one, five one and one against the spread in their past seven meetings at Eugene. So you know it's always one of those situations when you're coming off a, a loss. I mean, I think they'll, I think Oregon will get refocused to face their their rivals. But you lose a lot when you lose that game at Utah. You lose any chance of the playoff and all those things. Um, and you don't want to have to face a team that can beat you. And this is a team that can beat them. And I think they'll beat them straight up. I think uh, Oregon State is the play.
0: So take the Beavers over the Ducks and the. Uh aquatic-type creatures matchup and <laughs> uh, and take UVA in, in the Commonwealth Clash. It should be a great weekend of rivalry games. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Good luck, everyone. The Coastal Division is all sewed up. Pittsburgh wins the division on the strength of that victory at home over Virginia on Saturday in kind of a a role reversal here. It's the Atlantic that's, that's got a little chaos, potentially uh, Atlantic anarchy as, as we like to call it on Twitter, uh, going into the final weekend, Wake Forest who has certainly been uh, the class of the division all year this Late loss here to Clemson opens things back up. Now, Wake can still win the division uh, with a win against Boston College up in Chestnut Hill where you just heard Aaron talk about it. It's for whatever reason, even though there are no fans in the stands and not much atmosphere to speak of, it gives a lot of teams trouble playing up there. Uh, If Wake Forest slips up, NC State can claim the division with, with a victory. I believe they play on Black Friday against do. their rival. North Carolina, the Tar Heels, uh, the preseason favorite in the Coastal. The Wolfpack, if they have a win there uh, and a wake loss, they would win. If both of those teams lose, it's our old familiar
1: friend.
0: Guess who's back? <laughs> the Clemson Tigers. I don't think either of, of us are projecting that, uh, but I don't know that Right now, if you gave me any team in the Atlantic, right? who's the best team? Who would you not want to play on a neutral field? David, is it Clemson once again? Oh, for, especially for Pitt,
1: Mike, because Pitt's already beaten Clemson once this season. The last thing the Panthers want to see in Charlotte is orange and white. The, no. There's no doubt in, in my mind. And I, I like you, I don't think it will happen. You know, the Tigers have their traditional non-conference regular season finale against Shane Beamer in South Carolina. And oh, by the way, how about a shout out to Shane Beamer to have that South Carolina bunch already bowl eligible after last week's upset of Auburn. Good on Shane
0: yeah and if you saw on Twitter some of the dance moves, two, uh-huh. things, he, two things he learned from Frank how yep. to become bowl eligible and how to cut a rug in the locker room after a big win that was uh I think we're both pretty happy for Shane getting his shot and mm-hmm. uh in a tough league and and, and certainly you know, they've beaten some programs that were down, and they left some games out there. I think of that Missouri game. Missouri but, game, yep. Yeah, but I think overall, if you're a Gamecock fan, you've got to be really happy. I think you were happy with the Shane Beamer hire, and a year in, I think you're really happy with the results you're getting. Speaking of results, Wake Forest has gotten some great results since bringing in Dave Clawson. Mm-hmm. He has built the program. To a point where for really all, most or, or all of the year, they were the best team in the ACC. Then a couple slip-ups late, and now they're still a win away from even clinching a division. They're out of the talk for the college football playoff. David, is this as good as it gets for Dave Clawson at Wake Forest? And if so, does that make him maybe I, another job?
1: Mike, I, I've been thinking about this, and you and I have been texting about it and talking about it all week. I mean, that wasn't just a slip-up Saturday at Clemson. We are talking, this is probably, and Dave Clawson might argue this point, but this is probably going to be the best team he'll ever have at Wake Forest. And they are good. You and I saw them in person Mm -hmm. against UVA. That offense is fun to watch. It's imaginative, it's innovative, and it's well-executed. And to think that the best Wake Forest team that you can imagine gets demolished by the worst Clemson team in a decade. And I believe this is now 13 consecutive losses for Wake against Clemson. The last time Wake Forest beat Clemson, it got Tommy Bowden fired and some obscure receivers coach named Dabo Sweeney promoted to interim head coach. I mean, that's how long it's been. And, and I just wonder if Saturday's result reinforced or convinced Dave Clawson that, yes, there is a ceiling at Wake Forest. And might he be interested in another job? And there's another job not too far
0: away
1: and that's it virginia tech
0: i was say do we know anyone who has an <laughs> opening maybe but, even in a place like virginia where dave clason has coached before
1: yeah no, no i i think it's a it's a fascinating question and if and and i didn't think at the beginning of this search process it was just a, a week ago today when virginia tech separated from from Justin Fuente i thought it was unlikely that Dave Claussen would be interested because I th- I believe clearly Virginia Tech would be interested in him and would be foolish not to be interested in him given his success not only at Wake but at Fordham and at Bowling Green before that and and, and you know and you know getting the spiders to the playoffs and setting the table for Mike London to to win a national championship but after Saturday's game at Clemson I think it is Less unlikely, let's put it that way, (laughs) that that Dave Clawson might listen to a pitch from Virginia Tech.
0: We hear all the time that situations are fluid. I don't know if there's ever been a more fluid situation right now than some of these (laughs) coaching openings. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: You think about Florida firing Dan Mullen. Billy Napier now appears to be maybe the, the focal point of their search. Mm-hmm. This is going to be in offseason, David, I believe, where there are way more good jobs and open jobs than there are, quote unquote, good candidates, candidates that you really feel like uh, are the home runs. Supply and demand. And I think it might be part of the reason that Whit Babcock moved as quickly as he did to kind of get to the front of the line here. Um mm-hmm. It's going to be quite the battle. I think some guys are going to get paid. I think there are, um, they're going to also be though, David, some interesting hires because of it, right? Like they it's musical chairs and instead of not enough chairs, there aren't enough people and nobody wants to get left with an open chair, pulling somebody out of the, the audience to fill it. Um, there could be some interesting hires this offseason.
1: Florida, LSU, Southern California, Washington. That's, those are four big boy, jobs you know past national champions and then you have jobs such as virginia tech and texas christian and washington state you know and that's just the the, the power 5 and then let's not even get started if if there are dominoes mm-hmm. a- after that and might someone take a take a flyer on a, a sitting a assistant coach i don't know i I think if if Virginia Tech were to end up considering an assistant coach, I believe Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, who formerly had the same position under Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. He's an Ohio State graduate, former Buckeyes linebacker, cut his coaching teeth there. I think he would be attractive. I think Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, would be a possibility as well as Tony Elliott, the OC at Clemson.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Tony Elliott Mm -hmm. because he might be a little more valuable because of this down year for Clemson offensively. Um, I don't think anybody who understands football thinks that Tony Elliott can't coach offense anymore just because they had one kind of down year where it took him a while to get it. So maybe you can get him as almost a steal. Something about Tony Elliott I thought about. Clemson is in a very rural area. Um, not much else going on uh, to recruit to. He's been there with Dabo, kind of seen how that thing was built. I think there are some parallels between Clemson and Virginia Tech in terms of who they are, where they are, what they are, and what they want to be. That to me would make Tony Elliott really appealing. I know Whit Babcock has kind of indicated that his preference is for somebody with coaching experience, but doesn't Elliott fit a lot of the other check a lot of the other boxes?
1: He absolutely does. And, and Mike, Clemson and Virginia Tech are very like-minded institutions, not only athletically, but academically and geographically, as, as you pointed out. So I, I think the fit there would, would be a natural. And let's also understand that Tony Elliott has been hesitant to get involved in other head coaching searches yep. during Clemson's season. As Especially because of the college football playoff. The Tigers right. were competing for a national championship, and he didn't want to interrupt that. Well, that's not an issue this season. He could easily interview and, and accept the job. If, if Clemson doesn't make the ACC championship game, Tony Elliott could accept a head coaching position next week
0: and, very and easily. And
1: and, you and I
0: both think, right, that it won't be long after this Tech Virginia game we expect that we get an answer on where the search is headed. Bar and and, and, yes,
1: (laughs) unless Mike somebody is coaching in a conference championship game, Mm -hmm. I, I I think that could delay things. But and one other thing about Tony Elliott is he has an incredible personal story that it that is tragic. But the, in the in the end, as these things often are, uplifting. I mean, you're talking about a person who, as a young man on the West Coast, I forget what age he was, but he was very young, and, you know, in that nine to twelve year old range. That he is in the car with his mom on their way to church on Sunday, and and in, they're involved in an accident, an automobile accident, and Tony Elliott watched his mother die in that car crash and he is he was a young man of faith then has grown into a man of faith into an adult of faith now but he has said and i have spoken to him about this that he had some moments where he was doubting the good lord's wisdom because he had watched his mama die on the church yeah and it's i mean i i Get misty-eyed just talking about it. It's incredible and unfathomable to those of us who have never experienced anything quite like that. But you know, it, it it's those personal stories and experiences that make us who we are. And I, I I really believe that whenever Tony Elliott chooses to become a head coach, if that is indeed his aspiration, that that will inform how he runs his program, how he recruits to it, and I think it will really move people uh, with whom he interacts.
0: No doubt. And and recruiting-wise, think about the connection there. I mean, um, like I said, his story is amazing. His parents separated when he was four. He was homeless for a time, living with his mom and sister on the streets. you mentioned that his mother passing in that car accident. He was nine at that point. Okay. Um, and then there was a point, too, where, where he and his sister were separated because uh, his father, who, who he then was with, was imprisoned. Um, so his backstory is unbelievable. The job he's done at Clemson has been unbelievable. And, David, I would argue the job he's done at Clemson this year has been pretty good because he's gotten that offense not as quick as they wanted, but he's gotten that offense going finally here at the end of the year.
1: Well, they're undefeated in November. Granted, one of the wins was against Yukon, which is a nice stat patter. Uh, but still, you know, they had it going on Saturday against Wake Forest. Again, Wake Forest is, you know, not, not the purple people eaters or the steel curtain either, to date myself. But still, the, the, the Tigers are peaking at the right time. And oh, by the way, they have some really young players who will be back and they are going to be really good in the future.
0: Yeah, All, all the coaching carousel remains to be seen where that goes. These final weekend of games, Rob remains to be seen where that goes before we get out of here today, though, David, we are getting into to some meaningful college basketball here uh, with UVA, with Virginia tech around the ACC. Uh, Last night, Virginia beats Georgia. We're recording this here on Tuesday. They beat Georgia in the opening game of the Legends Classic up in Newark. A 10-point victory. Maybe most impressively, they cut down their turnovers to just four in that game. Um, We've talked, and I just wrote a lot about the turnover issues they've had early this year, so that was encouraging. Armand Franklin, I thought this was really encouraging, and it reminded me a bit of Sam Hauser a year ago. Armand Franklin, the transfer from Indiana, was brought in because he can shoot the three. He went one for seven beyond the arc last night, and he put up a career high equaling 23. 23 points. That's a really good sign when you don't have your bread and butter, your best weapon falling, and you still have that kind of an impact.
1: Yep. Mid-range game, getting to the line, real really spoke highly of, of Franklin as a player and Virginia really locked down defensively especially in in the second half i think Georgia was in the 20s percentage wise mm-hmm. from from the field after intermission that's a good sign and another interesting matchup against Providence up in Newark on the horizon and, and you mentioned the Hokies you know they get Memphis yeah. next up in up in Brooklyn so that's, that's a really good matchup to watch.
0: And you know who's going to be front and center in that matchup will be Landers Notley, uh, the former Hokie and, and potential Hokie star. and, and now Well, much like
1: at- last night, right, with George and Abdur
0: Rahim. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I know it's not like this, and I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but the college basketball schedule with <laughs> Justin McCoy and Casey Morcel and uh, Jabri Abdur Rahim and Landers, they love to get those matchups back around uh, with former players, and, and it's great copy and great stuff to talk about. But Landers Notley, is a very good player, and that matchup's going to be intriguing, like you said. I, I've been saying it all. I think Virginia Tech's the real deal. I think Virginia, to me, looks a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of getting back to where it needs to be. I think we're looking forward to a really exciting basketball season once we get through all this football madness.
1: I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I will say that overall, I wonder if the ACC is going to be down again. Be, here's a list of teams, of opponents that <laughs> ACC squads have lost to. Now, th- they've had some qu- quality losses to, to to power fives.
0: And some quality wins, but yes. this list, but, yeah, go ahead. Here we go.
1: Rhode Island, <laughs> twice, by the <laughs> way. Miami of Ohio, Furman, UCF, the Citadel, Colgate, and Navy.
0: And Navy. We, we know Navy, right? They got Virginia. uh and Colgate got Syracuse. Yeah, and David, how many of ACC teams right now are appearing in the top 25? I see Duke, and then that's mm-hmm. nobody else, and it, it, I'm not saying it's going to end that way. I think there are some teams that are going to end up having a good season, but I think your point is very well taken. A year ago, Virginia won what was considered a, a weak ACC, and I don't know who's going to win this year, and I think it might be a little bit better at the top, but it is not the ACC that we've kind of grown accustomed to right now, at least it's not the way it looks.
1: No, agreed.
0: Well, hopefully it will still be entertaining. We hope today was entertaining. Thanks for listening. You could subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at Richmond.com, along with all of our advanced coverage for this weekend's Commonwealth Clash. Today's show is produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Please join David and me again next time, and have a very happy Thanksgiving.